Coming up on today's episode of Membership and Subscription Growth. It became so popular and so powerful that we actually got calls from the cockpit from, a, from pilots who found our newsletter that another pilot had read and left in the cockpit for the next guy. And in the background, we could hear the plane saying, engine number one, on. And they were getting ready to take off. And they were calling us to get the call in to, get, to join the association before the plane took off. When you know your niche and you know those kinds of things, which are easy to find out today because we're in the information age, but when you know those things, you can tailor your delivery of information to the kind of person you're writing to. As entrepreneurs, we tend to um, focus on income or cash flow, depending how you want to say it. Um, but the truth is value always follows assets. And I wish I had seen myself in the business of creating assets. Welcome to Membership and Subscription Podcast. I'm your host, Robert Scrobe. Our guest today is a special friend, longtime friend, David Luca, who created a association membership program in order to promote his financial and uh, financial management business. So, if you uh, think of a you know a, a very sophisticated guy who is in a, is in financial planning, and he has his financial planning business and is uh, seeking clients. Uh, you know, there's a lot of different ways financial planners can go out there and uh, and get clients. Well, what David did, which was a little unorthodox in the financial planning world, but makes complete sense, and you'll see how it turned out for him in just a moment. But what he did is he created his own membership association uh, for his potential customers. And uh, so there's a number of really, really smart things that, uh, that, that David did. Number one is of all the different types of clients that he could ha- have in his financial planning business, he focused on a particular niche. Uh, very, very smart, uh, and uh, it really completely changed the game for him. Made it a lot easier for him to grow his financial planning business, and it uh, allowed him to grow a membership. So number two, you hear so much out here about content marketing and pushing out content so folks will be attracted to you. And what David did was a very important uh, difference with uh, with a membership and content uh, marketing, he invited his potential customers to pay for a membership. This assigned a value. It made them appreciate the information that he was producing and uh, absolutely elevated him as an expert. So rather than just somebody who's trying to sell them something and get access to their money, he became the expert uh, in helping uh, folks that are in that particular position. And number thir- three, uh, at, at, at when he would came to uh, sell his business, not only was he able to sell his financial planning business and exit with a, uh, a, a great payday, but he also had a second entirely separate payday for the membership organization that he had created. Because here is this membership that is dry, you know, that is self-sustaining, uh, generates revenue and profit all on its own, and also feeds the financial planning business customers. And so whoever, you know, the gentleman, uh, the team that came forward to buy the financial planning business, of course, wanted to also buy 
the uh, the association. So a lot of great information uh, to grow your membership, how to niche, how to market, how to attract clients, and also uh, a lot of great information on the exit of your business and what to do now in order to maximize that opportunity. So without any further delay, let's go to this episode of Membership and Subscription Growth. Welcome to the Membership and Subscription Podcast. I'm your host, Robert Scrobe. My guest today is David Lucas. It's such a pleasure having you on the program. Welcome, David. Thank you, Robert. I've been looking forward to it. Well, great. Well, uh, what is the uh, – you, you created the U.S. Pilots Association. So uh, for folks who uh, aren't sure, uh, who aren't familiar, what, what is the U.S. Pilots Financial Association? Um, well, maybe the best way uh, to answer that is to just expand it just a tad. Um, I owned a firm, uh, founded a firm with another man uh, that was an investment management firm, and we worked exclusively with airline pilots. And so um, the Airline Pilot Financial Association was a way to provide the information they really needed and wanted about their retirement funds, but it was also a way for us to have a significant impact on the professional pilot community and build our business. Nice. And, uh, and well, were you, because I know you had started it back in, uh, in 2000 and uh, grew uh, through uh, uh, when you sold the business in December of, of 2014, um, was it, was the U.S. Pilot Financial Association successful in bringing pilots together to help educate them? And then, um, you know, if, if folks were interested, uh, use your financial management services? Oh, oh yeah. Um, yeah, it was, it was an interesting experience uh, in, in this way. Um, we, we ended up working with pilots at three different airlines which was quite a, quite a few thousand different professional pilots. And before we started the association, nobody knew who we were. We had just, uh, we had a few clients who were pilots. They flew with American, uh, and they had just come to us by way of referral. And I decided that I would like to reach out to that group as a primary niche for our firm. So in thinking it through, of course, I had met you through Glazer Kennedy, and when you said that I formed the association in 2000, it makes me think, gee, Robert, that's 17 years ago, which means I've probably known you for more than 20 years. <laughs> Thereabouts, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it goes fast. So, so anyway, before we started, really nobody in those three, three airlines knew who we were. But the wonderful thing, of course, about entering a niche with something like that is you have instant credibility. So when people say, who are they, the answer was, well, they're the ones that started the U.S. Pilot Financial Association. They're the experts on our retirement plans. Wow. So there was instant positioning and authority. And uh, yeah, in very short order, um, I grew the firm by over $150 million. And uh, it really, it's pretty amazing because you know, most financial planners kind of sit around and go, you know, how can we generate customers? How can we, uh, you know, how, uh, generate clients? And they 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 feel like 
by specializing in any particular area that they're really shutting the door for all the other types of clients that they, that they might attract. And uh, you were very brave in stepping out and saying, this is who we're going to be for. Uh, how did it change your business and approach when you really focused your, your customer on, 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 on focused on pilots, and at the beginning, American pilots? Well, I have to tell you that the main thing it did is it made marketing easy. And it was in this sense, if you try and be everything to everybody, you can't really write a compelling message for your website or your marketing materials because you're trying to satisfy everybody and many of them have competing interests. But as soon as you speak with one voice to one group and they read it and they know that you work with them, it changes everything. It makes your job easier. It makes your marketing messages more powerful. It makes the response deeper. Um, it got to the point where we had clients in 42 states. So, so it was very rare that I ever actually met any of our clients because um, they, they could be in Alaska, they could be in Hawaii, they could be in almost any state in the union. So they're just not going to drop in for coffee. And if you think about the irony of that, they entrusted their life savings to us sight unseen. Wow. That's how powerful it is when they understand that you're an expert in their issues and that you work exclusively with pilots. And so in each, each way you could imagine, it makes your job as a marketer, as a business owner, uh, so much easier. As soon as I switched and I could write, our materials with one voice directed at them, it, it all just came together instantly. It was amazing. Did you have any apprehension about who you were excluding or how you were not go maybe not going to get some clients because you focused only on pilots? Yeah, and I should refine who we focused on a little bit, and I did it from the beginning. When we first started the firm, I focused on retirees as a niche. But within that niche, I focused on retirees who had more than $100,000 to invest. Later, as the firm grew, we raised it to $250,000. By the time we sold our firm, the average client was bringing us just shy of half a million dollars. So each sale that we made, quote unquote, uh, was for $500,000 or more. So if the average was 500, there were clients that had as little as 250, which sounds funny to say, and clients who had multi-multi-millions. Um, but when we switched to pilots, I really wanted to work with pilots as retirees, but of course, so does everybody else. So the association was my way of getting to the front of the line so that before they ever got to that point, we would have established a relationship of trust with them and expertise as an authority and that uh, we would be at the top of the list for who they were going to choose to work with. So that's, that's what was going on. So I, uh, technically, I never really left our niche of retirement because we worked with the pilot's retirement assets. But once it began to work, uh, we rewrote our website for pilots, we rewrote our marketing materials for pilots, and they were so much better, the materials and the website. Every, in every way because they were clear. And if you have a clear message, 
you really stand out in any marketplace. Well, it allows you to break through the clutter. You know, with there's you know ten, tens of thousands of financial planners all trying to get yeah. in front of these pilots, and by making yourself the experts in uh, pilot financial planning, not only is your marketing message work better, but I'm sure the fulfillment was a whole lot easier because you understood the types of programs and assets that these particular individuals came with, uh, the types of labor agreements that they had and had worked under for years, and you know, the types of pensions they might have with military and everything else, and really got a, a pretty clear understanding of actually how to deliver uh, in addition to how to market to these clients, making your business a whole lot simpler to grow. That is right on, and I think it gets into the area that I just call value creation. If you work with everybody, it's very difficult to create value. If you work with a specific niche, as you just pointed out, they have specific needs, and they have specific backgrounds, like a great portion of the pilot community is former military. Well, that implies a lot of things about uh, how they were selected, what their life experience was, what their expectations are, and of course, what their needs are. And uh, I know you know this because I, I see what you create, but every group, uh, every business that's successful ultimately is about transformation. And you're transforming either a bad situation into a good situation or a good situation into a better situation. And as soon as you speak with one voice, that process of creating value that results in that transformation is just so much easier. It's just like uh, instead of your brain going ten directions, your brain just has one thing to think about. And the process of looking at their specific dangers uh, and the specific opportunities that are in front of them. It, it all just becomes so much clearer as to what you can do to solve their biggest problems. And every time you go through another round of value creation, what you're offering to your niche is more and more powerful. Well, you know, a lot of financial planners are, you know, focused on the, uh, you know, what it takes to actually become a great financial planner. You did all that and created a membership organization that you had to market and, and grow and fulfill on. How did you uh, embark on this, you know, creating the, this pilots association and, uh, and establish it so pilots wanted to participate? Well, of course, the genesis of the whole thing came from you because of your expertise with associations and memberships. And, you know, back in 2000 or 1999 when you offered some training in how to create an association, uh, it made perfect sense to me. So I came to Florida and met with you and a, a sort of a select group of other people, and you shared things that gave me confidence and sort of an understanding of how to proceed logistically and what I was allowed to do and not do. And I... I went back and created this standalone company that was an association. And I had started a newsletter for one airline about their 401k plan. And when I made the decision to start the association, I had a division within the association for each 
airline group, and each one had a newsletter as one of the primary benefits. So I rolled the newsletter into the association, and then I, I had to figure out how to let people know about the association. So I did it through advertising, uh, marketing. I did it through um, referrals. I mean, you'll, you'll appreciate this. It became so popular and so powerful that we actually got calls from the cockpit from, a, from pilots who found our newsletter that another pilot had read and left in the cockpit for the next guy. And in the background, we could hear the plane saying, engine number one, on. And they were getting ready to take off. And they were calling us to get the call in to, get, to join the association before the plane took off. So it, uh, it just became so funny. Um, and I have to... Go ahead. I loved I loved our clients. Um, I related to them. I knew their issues so well that so many people, when they talked to me by phone, would say, "Dave, are you a pilot?" Yeah. And I and I'd say, "No, I'm I'm not." And you wouldn't want me to be. But um, it's just that whole idea that you can speak so clearly to their needs that you are one of them to them. And, I, and I'll tell you, you also gain a measure of celebrity in that niche. I was at an airport once on a business trip, standing in line at a restaurant with about 10 people, waiting to eat something between flights, and a pilot came up behind me, and I could see he was with one of our airlines. And So he started to talk to me, and we went back and forth, and finally he said, what do you do? And I said, actually, I write the newsletter for your pilot group, for the 401k plan, and he stopped and looked at me, and he said, "Are you Dave Luca?" <laughs> yep. Oh, wait till I tell my friend Bill that I met Dave Luca. So it's it's kind of funny because you become known because you're not worried about millions of people out there. You're worried about your niche and what you can do to meet their needs, and so. It, there were all kinds of things that happened like that that made it enjoyable, but I, I truly enjoyed them, enjoyed working for them, and did my best for them. Wow, that's that's fabulous. And um, while we're uh, you know, when you approached creating content for them, because uh, you know, the, the 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 trick is once you have them in, you you know you're 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 bringing them into the organization, and and now you need to deliver content on an ongoing basis that keeps them engaged that you know that they want and appreciate and you know you uh, certainly had to deal with all the free content that's out there as well as everyone else that's marketing today how did you compete with free and deliver something that was compelling that that pilots were willing to pay for yeah i think i well a couple ways i mean i started my work with pilots by interviewing three pilots in person, and I asked them if I could record it. And by the time I was done those first three, I had a real strong idea of what the point of leverage was. Uh, and in their case, they had a 401k plan that had a tremendous amount of money in it typically. And of course, for liability reasons, no company wants to tell you what to do with your 401k. So they all envisioned that at the end of their working career, they were going to have a whole bunch of money and were going to retire in a nice way. 
But in the meantime, of course, you can lose money in the market as well as make it. And there was no input about their specific plan. So in our case, for each of the airlines, the biggest point of leverage that was a shared need, which I think is important in working with a niche, is they all wanted to know what to do now. So we focused on telling them in the form of the newsletter, which was online, what to do now to grow their account and keep it safe. And uh, so that kept the information current. And um, now, did, were, were, were any of them kind of frustrated that you were delivering too much content or not enough? How, how did you kind of balance the, what, what, they, what, what, what some members wanted versus others that, that may not be able to you consume as much information. Sure. Well, you know, pilots are a unique breed, and I think it comes back to knowing your niche. They're chosen with a specific psychological profile. A lot of people don't know that. But they have to be able to see things as black and white, because if you're in the sky with 200 people behind you in the plane, and there's an emergency, you have to make a decision. You can't say, well, I really see both sides of this. <laughs> but, to be able to assess the situation and instantly make a decision, which means they're not largely tremendously in-depth readers. They can skim something, get the information they want, and make a definite decision. So when you know your niche and you know those kinds of things, which are easy to find out today because we're in the information age, but when you know those things, you can tailor your delivery of information to the kind of person you're writing to. And so they didn't want long, drawn-out explanations or anything else. They wanted to know what to do. And occasionally somebody would ask for something different. And I always listened because sometimes you get your greatest insights by that white mail or phone call you get back. Uh, a lot of the big breakthroughs and game changers that we created in our company came from just observing the feedback we got from our niche. Wow. Now, uh, yeah, listening to your customer, paying attention to feedback, absolutely crucial, and, uh, and understanding, understanding who they are and what they're looking for. It's, uh, I, I can't tell you how many times I uh, start working with clients that really just don't understand who who they're trying to sell to, and um, for you to have such a in-depth understanding and to continue growing that uh, certainly is a huge part of your success. And uh, another piece of your success is a, a few years ago you had the opportunity to actually sell your. Uh, your, your financial planning company together with this membership association. How did the membership association impact the sale of your of, of your financial planning company? Well, it was. Um, I mean, I purposely set it up as a separate company, as you know, because I did it for two reasons. One is the SEC that regulates uh, investment advisory firms. Uh, is very strict about what you can say and can't say. So by separate, se setting up a separate company, I had a greater measure of freedom in what could be said and not said and how we could market than you would if you were talking about investments. So I purposely did set it up as a separate company, but at the time I, I really didn't realize uh, the full impact of what I was doing. And, and that gets to the question you're asking here. Well, 
because when we went to sell the company, uh, we hired a, a business brokerage firm that did a nationwide search. And we had a number of uh, firms competing to buy the company. And it was set up as the purchase of two companies. I owned one, which was the association, and the other one was owned with a partner of the investment management firm. And anybody who wanted to buy the investment management firm would have been a fool not to buy the main source of new clients coming in. So not many companies end up being able to sell their marketing platform too because they don't think of it that way. And when this, when this happened and they started to bid on a separate amount for my uh, financial association, <laughs> I began to realize the importance of how you structure things in your company. And what, I tell you this, one of the areas that we really fell short is we actually had the trademark on 401k management. And I had used an attorney. I trademarked it. We got in a dispute with another company who claimed they had it first and weren't willing to share it. They were in the insurance business. I hired the best uh, trademark attorney, patent attorney I could find, and he was brilliant. And by the time it was done, the other company, uh, we had filed to have theirs invalidated, and they were asking if they could use our trademark. Um, but in retrospect, I should have put it in a separate LLC to hold all the IP of the firm because had I done that, whoever bought the investment advisory firm would also have insisted that they be able to buy the IP, which means it would have had a separate value. And this is true with most firms, and for any entrepreneur that's listening and thinking someday they're going to sell their firm, one of the best things you can do is break out the different value your firm has into separate holdings, even if it's not a business, if it's just an LLC that's owned separately, whoever buys it, if that's a valuable thing, they're going to want to have that too. And the way most businesses are valued is simply some multiple of EBITDA or net operating income, depending on the type of business. Well, whether you own IP or not IP, uh, don't own it is not going to have any bearing on that number. But as soon as you break it out, not only will you still get the multiple of net operating income, but now you're selling other valuable assets. And so selling the business was a real learning uh, process, both learning I did some things right, but learning there were things that I wish I had thought of ahead of time before we prepared it to sell. Well, and as it were, it was. You had um, you certainly, you know, certainly there's always room for improvement. But my goodness, being able to sell the firm, and then as a separate, you know, related transaction as part of that sale, to also sell the association, which you know, had been created primarily as a, a marketing vehicle for the firm. Uh, you know, certainly uh, created a, a, a you know in, improved the value that you were able to to sell for, and uh, created a great asset. So I certainly commend you on on how you did structure it. And um, uh, thank you. Say, being able to sell the marketing vehicle is a, a great benefit. And you know, I think it points out something I wish I'd known earlier in my career, which is, as entrepreneurs, we tend to um, focus on income or cash flow, depending how you want to say it. Um, but the truth is value always follows assets. 
and I wish I had seen myself in the business of creating assets instead of just in the business of creating a greater income or growth for the company. Because that ultimately, when the day comes that you're going to make any kind of transition at all, you'll gain far more from the sale of assets than just the sale of cash flow. Right, of course. So um, what are the types of things that you're doing today? Well, um, it's interesting you ask. Um, after we sold the business, uh, my wife kind of looked, at each other and said, you know, life is going pretty fast and we've always said someday we're going to do this and someday we're going to do that. So I took a one-year sabbatical and we knocked a lot of things off our list. We traveled the world. We made friends in other countries. We just had a great time together. Uh, it was sort of like a second honeymoon in a lot of ways and <laughs> it was a wonderful time. But that one year off was the first time I had not been under stress in 20-some years. And to anyone who's listening, who's under stress, there's nothing I can do better for you than just to encourage you to take a sabbatical periodically. And you might not be able to pull off a whole year like we did uh, because you have responsibilities, but if you could do a sabbatical of 30 days or a quarter, or six months, I would say do it because you can't think correctly when you're under stress all the time. And the one wonderful thing, uh, in addition to not thinking about the business, was that by the time I was de-stressed, which took about a year to become fully human again, one thing that I began to do was reevaluate my experience from the past 25 years, uh, both in business and in marketing. and. I began to realize what had worked, what had been game changers, what didn't work, what I could have done better. Um, and I began, as I'd met all these people as I traveled the world that were business owners. And of course I knew countless ones here in the States from my years in the industry. And I began to consult and coach with these people. And I've coached people uh, around the world. Uh, in Europe, uh, in the Pacific region, in New Zealand, across the United States, in all different industries. And one thing I realized was a business is a business is a business, and the same things apply to every business. And of course, like Dan Kennedy has said many times, the wise question isn't, is to ask, how could I apply this to my business? And as I consulted and faced the toughest challenges these people had, there were always commonalities. So I spent quite a bit of time doing that. And the other part of it is I moved from having an active business to being in the cash flow quadrant as an investor. And so I, I spend time still on both of those things. I do coaching uh, for entrepreneurs, uh, typically ones who already have a valid uh, growing business going on. And either they're overwhelmed by it, uh, they'd like to make it, better, but at the same time in there, they're really not experiencing the level of freedom and health that they need to be in that context. And one of the things I learned uh, was to take care of myself first as my biggest asset. And even before I sold the business, I was taking 13 weeks of vacation a year. And I know there'll be people who will hear that and say, you can't do that. But I did, and I did it for years. And I did it because of the way I structured the business. So I'm helping people 
change the game of their business and do those kinds of things. And of course, I'm an investor. I've been an investor my whole life, and I'll always be an investor, just different kinds of assets now. As you say, rather than um, you know, saying to, to that, I can't take 13 weeks off, instead ask yourself the question, how can I take 13 weeks off and structure my business so it, it makes that happen? So, Dave, if somebody wants to uh, reach out to you and connect with you, what's the best way to, uh, to find you? Well, I don't have a website for them to track me down, so the best way is to email me. Uh, if I can help anyone, uh, whether they're interested in the possibility of coaching or they just have a follow-up question, uh, they can reach me at david.luca at comcast.net, and uh, someone will screen that and get it to me. Well, beautiful, David. Thank you so much for the opportunity to connect with you and learn what you've done in the uh, subscription world. It certainly is an inspiring story, and uh, my goodness, great work. Well, I owe you a debt of gratitude for all your help. And uh, anybody uh, who has any kind of membership platform in any way ought to be talking to you. <laughs> I can tell you that. Well, it's very flattering. I sincerely appreciate the compliment, and, the, and it was a joy to have the opportunity to work with you, that's for sure. Well, uh, thank you so much, and I uh, look forward to, to talking with you next time. Yeah, hope to see you before long, Robert. Thanks so much. Bye-bye. Wow, I hope you got a lot out of that uh, program. That might even be something you want to listen to a couple of times because uh, uh, you know, certainly David talked a, a lot about uh, some amazing things that he did in his business. And I'm, you know, over and over again, I'm working with clients, trying to help them identify their best target customer. And there's, I often meet with resistance because they're going, man, I just, you know, I don't want to narrow down our focus. I don't want to leave people out that could be our customer. And it's, in fact, that narrowing of focus of purposely uh, targeting who your best customers are that make you unique, make you attractive, and help you really grow. It's uh, one of those uh, sorts of paradoxes that it's hard, difficult for folks to, to really embrace, but the less, the less you focus on, the bigger the impact that you're able to have. Coming up next week on membership and subscription growth is my guest, George Richter, who is uh, formerly with Guthy Renker, uh, one of the you know, certainly largest subscription businesses. In the, you know, they sell proactive. I'm sure you've seen their infomercials, and they have a, a ton of uh, you know, replenishment every month as uh, folks subscribe uh, to that program. And not only that, but more importantly, he actually is the CEO today of OceanX, which is a technology platform for anyone that has a large subscription program or wants to be a large subscription program, OceanX provides the, the billing, the fulfillment, really everything in order to have a large-scale subscription business where you have mass customization and, uh, and really doing a lot of shipping and, and, and billing. And so you know, George's insight into how you grow a subscription business is tremendous. Also, he, uh, his experience goes back to the 80s with Book of the Month club programs. So this is a guy who has been in the trenches in the subscription world for several decades. And whether you are just starting out 
whether you are scaling your subscription business or, or you've been around for a while, listening to George Richter is going to be a tremendous opportunity. So make sure you subscribe to Membership and Subscription Growth, uh, and uh, we'll see you next week on the next episode with George Richter.